Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I'm a feminist, but I recently got into a debate with a bloke about a subject I think I know quite a lot about, not least because... So I'm having this very personal experience at the moment. But he was talking with such confidence and he was talking so very loudly that um, uh, halfway through I thought to myself, oh my God, maybe you do know more about the symptoms of the perimenopause than I do. <laughs> I'm a feminist. But when I went to a weekend convention for sceptics and rationalists, I felt like I was the one in the Onion headline. Moderately attractive girl has weekend of her life at comic book convention. <laughs> and I really enjoyed being super hot <laughs> for 48 hours. <laughs> no, I was really hot. I was like a supermodel. I was, I was so hot. What was it? It was a weekend for rationalists and sceptics to sort of sit around going, oh, we know better than everyone else. I was just there for the comedy bit, to be honest, but I walked in and sort of heads turned like it was a 1940s American film, uh, you know, and I was Marilyn Monroe. And men stuck their cigarette lighters out. I didn't even have a cigarette. They just went like that. I was just like... And I felt like a fox fur fall. Uh, obviously a faux one. Faux fox fur, come on. <laughs> Fell from my shoulders. I wasn't wearing one before then. It just... I transformed into... A a magical sex kitten. I want to go to this with you next time. Yeah, it was extraordinary. I'm a feminist, but before I had children, um, I used to be quite judgmental of mums on a school run. I'd see them and I'd think, ooh. <laughs> run a brush through your hair, love. <laughs> oh, those crocs. 
I'm a lesbian, even I wouldn't wear Crocs. What the hell are you doing? Just the other day, my girlfriend asked me to sniff her jeans. I said, why? She said, there's piss on them. I just want to know how bad it smells. <laughs> I don't judge anymore. I'm a feminist, but when I went to a weekend convention for skeptics and rationalists, <laughs> I loved that I was the cue for the loo. That the men were waiting for an average of 15 minutes. Oh my god, that is music to my I was ears. the whole queue of the ladies. Oh my home. god, I, I love that. It. I was it. I just walked in, walked out. I went several times and I didn't need to go. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but whilst performing at a women's only space quite a long time ago, I said the word penis on stage. And uh, a woman stood up in the audience. And she was livid. She said, excuse me, I don't think you know where you are. But this is actually a women's space. And we don't like the word penis. And so we would prefer it if you didn't say that on stage. And I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't realise that you didn't like the word penis. <laughs> And so I'll make sure I never say the word penis <laughs> on stage. Because if I'd known that you didn't like penises, you'd never have said penis. What an awful thing to say, penis. Perhaps you'd prefer it if I said the word cock. Cockety cock. Cock, cock. Kitty cock, cock, cock. A petition was signed. I'm not even joking. <laughs> and they banned me. In a very real way, they didn't need to ban you from there. You were never fucking going back. No, I was never I going mean, back. Absolutely. That's just... I mean, that was just the tip of the iceberg of that particular evening. There was worse to come, unfortunately. It's the tip of the penis. <laughs> oh, I don't want that visual image. I'm a feminist. But I'd probably be pretty happy if any of the cast of Two and a Half Men flirted with me, including Charlie Sheen or The Kid. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go to bed with any of them. But I'm just saying, you know, if I was at a party or something and one of them, like Charlie Sheen gave me a bit of a... I'd, I'd not be unhappy about it. I mean, he's grotesque and sexist. Absolutely and he's repellent. A, he's, no, he is, he is. I'm just being honest. I'd still get a bit of a kick if Charlie Sheen gave me a second look. I'm trying to think of what the female equivalent would be for There me. is no female equivalent to Charlie Sheen, and that's the fucking point. <laughs> Live from the Dance House Theatre in Manchester, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with Deborah Francis White and guest co-host Jen Brister and very special guest Charlotte Keatley talking about us and our mothers. Nothing you can do can keep me down 
miss a piece What well, I say one day I'll be a star Nothing you can do will dim my shine You're always firing shots at me You pull the trigger but it's you who bleed And now I'm gonna make you see With a winner's mentality, you never think of quitting. Everything you do, see it through to the finish. If you're a born winner, then I wanna hear you sing it. I'll show you what I'm made of. I'll show you what I'm made of. You can sing it. I'll show you what I'm made of. I'll show you what I'm made of. Oh, sticks and stones may bring my bones. This is my dream. I'll never let go. I'll show you what I'm made of. I'll show you what I'm made of. I'll show you what I'm made of. I'll show you what I'm made Nikki, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm a singer-songwriter based in Birmingham and I'm also visually impaired and I'm an event manager as well. That was an absolutely beautiful song and we're going to hear from you later. Where can we hear that song? Where can we download it? Uh, you can find me at Nikki Kelly on Twitter, N-I-C-K-I-K-E-L-L-Y and on Facebook. And if you sign up to my mailing list, you'll get a free copy. Fantastic, yeah, let's do that. The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Uh, so, hello, audience, Manchester. Um, here we are at The Guilty Feminist. This is me and Jen Brister. Hello. Hello, hello. So, Jen, how's your week been? I've spent a lot less travelling this week, so it's been brilliant. A lot of time with my children, which I've really en- enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, it does seem that way. How it old does. are they? They're two. Yeah, okay, so, so you're very grateful to be spending the night in an Ibis. Yeah. I'm so happy. Oh, my God, are we in an Ibis? Oh, yeah. well, we've really hit the jackpot. I, am, I, cannot, I don't think I could be any happier. We're in the Manchester Ibis. All of the rooms have got beds. Oh, my God, and um, there's no-one going to crawl into bed with me at, like, three in the morning? I might. Oh. <laughs> I feel like it's not cheating if you can make an I'm a feminist butt out of it. Oh, absolutely like, not. You go, I'm a feminist, but last night I shagged a married woman. 
because hilarious. Uh, I don't know. It, is, it, is that the case? And or you, oh, we could tell your wife and my husband we've done it for a challenge. Yeah, and then that way it's not really cheating, is it? No, if it's, it's for work. It's, it was for it's work. It's a job, man. Stop judging me. Jeez. It was for work. I back. have been seriously considering going to a Killing Kittens party as part of... Oh, I'm sorry, I, I need to back up here. Does anyone else know what the hell's going on? Do you know what Killing Kittens is? Okay, so Killing Kittens Please is... tell me it's not anything to do with actually... Oh, no, no, no. It's like a metaphor for lady masturbation. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's meant to be something about, like, when uh, somebody once said, probably a nun, that every time a woman or a girl masturbates, oh, a, kitten a kitten dies. <laughs> so, yeah, probably oh a nun God. said that. Someone who didn't want it to happen and was it's playing... a lot in, of dead cats around, yeah, someone, someone in, who was playing into the female love of the cat. That's a huge responsibility, isn't it? It's a huge responsibility. On a lonely Ibis hotel in Manchester. It's <laughs> a lot of responsibility. Listen, if you don't have some fun tonight, when will you? Because until your children are six, there'll be no more sex. That's how it works. My partner's already told me that, and I don't think that's got anything to do with the children, but, yeah. I'm... <laughs> Fair play. I think that's, that's uh, Yeah, done. so Killing Kittens is a party. I think it's meant to be, like, a female led sex party. Oh, I've heard about this. And then yeah. everybody masturbates in front of each other. No, no, no. Oh, no. <laughs> but you can sort I, of... I, but I want to go to that part. You I do You all have to wear worse. masks and sort of dress up and wear masks and then you go around the room. And But I think the women are meant to approach the men. The men don't approach the women. Oh, I don't um, want to go to this party with men. No, thank no. you. No, fair enough, fair enough. No, no. I mean, there are... Actually, the only killing kits I've been to was an all-lady one. Because I felt safer there. <laughs> so, wait a second. Can I just back up here? Um, yeah. Because <laughs> as a gay woman, I want to know how this works. So, you get a load of gay women in a room and say, look, what's happening here is some sort of sex party. And they don't all just sit around drinking cups of tea and eating Garibaldi's. They actually do stuff. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of action at the one I went to, to there be honest. Isn't. There was a lot of intense conversation. And it was a there lot is, of... There never is. A lot of bi-curious women, like me. So, I went as a sort of bi-curious woman who felt like, safer amongst women. Basically, I went to a sex party but didn't want to have sex. Well, That's... you're very safe in a room full of lesbians. There's no chance of it happening. Listen, I went to a... Basically, I went to Sydney Mardi Gras and I went to the big party that they have there. They've always had an all-male tent, so only men are allowed to go in there and God only knows what happens in there. You see people coming out with butt plugs waving everywhere and there's sweat and there's stuff happening. And I walked past that and I went, that looks incredible. I've got to find the women-only tent. What can that be like? Oh. I was young. I was in my 20s. Sure. I still was very optimistic about life. I was hopeful. <laughs> you didn't know. I didn't know. I had no idea. And I walked in, and there was just sort of half a dozen women sort of wearing leather waistcoats. Two of them were reading the equivalent of Women's Own in Australia. <laughs> one of them had a cup of tea, and there was just one mad lesbian sort of moshing on her own. And I thought... <laughs> This, this is it, isn't it? This it's is just, why I'm never, ever going to have sex ever again. It's disappointing. <laughs> uh, tonight, we're talking about our relationships with our mothers, so our grown-up relationship with our mothers, essentially. Oh, there's a free song, oh, isn't oh, there? Oh, As women oh, go... Oh, tension. Oh, oh, this is going to be stressful. Talking about our relationship with my mother. Just think, whoever you are in 30 years, you will become your mum. Yeah. <laughs> People are leaving. Come back. <laughs> Just as a for instance, if you think you couldn't live with your mother for months without being irritated by her, go, mm. mm. Uh, if it weeks, if it was weeks, mm. 
days. If days with your mother will irritate you. Oh, they were quick there. They were quick. They were quick. They didn't need it's to be asked. the same people. It's the uh, same people. Hours? Hours. If your mother can irritate you in minutes. <laughs> minutes. Okay, most of you are hours. If your mother cannot irritate you in hours or days, go, hmm. Oh, there's four of you. Great. So, Jen, what was your challenge? My challenge was to take my children to my mother's house where we would stay overnight. And because my mum has students that live with her, I would have to share not only a room, but a bed. Lordy McLummocks, that's extreme. It is extreme, isn't it? It was, um, you know that point in the day when you've spent the day with your mum and you think, this has been actually all right. This has been okay. <laughs> do you do that? And you go, we... Surprisingly we still, okay. Yeah, yeah. You sort of, do we still like each other? We, yeah, we like each other. And then you go, good night. Oh, no. <laughs> because then you've got to get into bed with them. Yeah, there's it, no getting away. You need that space at the end of the day. And my mum snores. Oh, yeah. And she keeps everything she owns in a plastic bag. <laughs> Does anyone else's mum do that? Like, it, so when she's getting ready for bed, all you hear is... <laughs> there is nothing more annoying. Like if you've ever been in a communal dormitory and there's always somebody rustling a plastic bag, isn't there, in the middle of the night, you're like, just get the thing out, whatever it is. And that was my mum, like, just at night, she'd be like, I need to find a toothbrush. <laughs> I don't know where my shoes are. You're like, oh my God, I'm going to suffocate you with that... with one of thousands of plastic bags. But she's so good with my kids that... Um, you keep her around. I, I keep her around. For babysitting. I think she's better at it than I am. The mum thing. Mm. There was that lovely line in Motherland. She's... She, the mother's trying to drop the kids at her mother's house. Someone said, why don't you get a nanny? And she said, because I want my children to be raised like I was, by my mother. <laughs> and there is something about that. There is think, something... Well, I know, I know in which ways you're going to fuck them up, and I've got a good sense of how to unfuck oh, I them can from all... that, because I've had to yeah, do it for myself. Exactly. I already know... that I, I can see it already happening at the moment. And also, my mum brought me up to be a feminist, and I need to say that, because she's always been very headstrong, and she's... My mum kind of thinks men are stupid. And I think that's why, when she's with boys, she's like, no, they need more help, they need more help. Help, and I just let them get on with it! <laughs> Whereas with girls, you know, it's just like, yeah. you can survive, just, you know. I do understand that pattern, yeah, that mothers and sons sometimes, there's a special bond that I'll never understand. You might, because you've got two sons. Yeah! No, okay, clearly. No, I do, I do understand it, but I would assume that I would be exactly the same with my daughter if I had mm. girls. I can't imagine what I would be like, you'll make your own bed. <laughs> Dinner's a dog. Would you... <laughs> I don't know why I chose to put that accent on, and I can only apologise. I, I don't know where that came from. It's from the depths of somewhere. I, I shall, it'll never happen again, so uh, sorry. Um. Lovely Manchester audience, would you like to hear some stand-up comedy? <laughs> then put your hands together and make general woohooing noise for the magnificent Jen Brister! <laughs> I think it's fair to say mothers and daughters have a very different relationship to mothers and sons. Would you agree with that? Yes. I'm going to make a generalisation, so forgive me, but I think with mothers and sons, it's a bit more like, oh, my darling, you've got such a beautiful boy. You could do anything. God, and achieve. Mommy loves you very much. 
mothers and daughters, it's a bit more like, you look fat in that, love, make an effort. <laughs> I think I can break down my relationship with my mother into three very simple stages. I'll see if you can relate. Again, I'm making generalisations here. I can only really speak from my own perspective, but I think I can break it down into when I was a child, I used to look at my mum and I think, my God, mum, you are a goddess. I love you. You're in my entire world and I believe everything that you say. Yeah? And then I sort of hit, you know, my late teens, early 20s and I, I'd find myself looking at my mum and thinking, <laughs> Mum, I'm going to question some of the things that you're saying to me. And then, and then you get a little bit older, then you hit your late 30s or middle age, and you find yourself looking at your mum and you think, you're fucking mental. <laughs> is, it, is it just me? <laughs> I know that she is, and I know that I will be, and, it, and I'm fine with that. Um, I think also that my mum's, it's just really mainly because she's very foreign and she's just managed to get more foreign as she's got older. Um, you think when people come and live in a country that they lose their foreignness, they don't. They just, my mum is, my mum's Spanish, really, 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 Spanish, okay. Um, and uh, she's lived longer in the UK than she's ever lived in Spain. Hasn't lost her accent. Lost her words, she cannot pronounce. Lost her, lost her, lost her words. My favourite word my mum's never been able to pronounce is um, my brother's name. Um, <laughs> Stephen, Stephen, forget it. <laughs> I think what it is is that um, uh, I, my mum is quite um, aggressive. <laughs> you know how British people were very, in this country, we're sort of passive aggressive, aren't we? And we're low talkers. Because my mum only has one volume, it's like very loud. <laughs> and in this country, we can't bear it, can we? That sort of volume, it, it absolutely, particularly the middle classes in this country, because middle class people are low talkers, aren't they? We don't like to raise our voices, do we? If we've got a bit of money, and if we hear somebody shouting, we just assume that they're poor. <laughs> foreign <laughs> I like to compare my mum to my girlfriend's mum because she's very British so she's very <laughs> she's sort of very much more like this <laughs> like we get on fine but I still think she can't really cope with the fact that her only daughter is going out with <laughs> because of course her daughter's not a lesbian no it's just me <laughs> Strumming away on my own. <laughs> I think every time I get introduced to one of my um, girlfriends, like a member of the family or a friend that hasn't met me, I never get introduced as, you know, the girlfriend or the wife or anything. I get introduced as... <laughs> but also with this weird voice that comes up. It's not even special friend. It's like... <laughs> This is Jen, my daughter. <laughs> it's that voice that British people adopt, isn't it, when they can't cope with whatever they're saying? Like, you know, like... And, you know... You know, just things like... 
My mum's very different. As I said, she's very direct. I'll give you an example. When I went to tell my mum that my girlfriend and I were thinking of having children, she just turned to me and said, My God, Jennifer, I do hope you know you cannot get pregnant with two fingers. frustrated with one's mother and my mother has moved back to her hometown where she was raised and when I went to visit her there uh, this is in Australia I said is there anywhere you'd like me to take you and she said yes I'd really like to go back and see the house I was raised in so she lived in a house for most of her childhood until she was married from that house but she's not been back there since and so we went for a drive and we saw it and out the front it said it was a holiday let and so I went on their website and had a look, and the only two nights that holiday let was available was that night and the following night. And I said, OK, we're checking in. We're going to stay here. And she was like, oh, no, don't spend the money. And I was like, no, 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 we're going to stay here. We're going to live here. So I rang the lady. She said, yes, 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 come back at 2 o'clock. And we went into the house, and it's this old Australian house, and she was transformed she was like this is where this happened and this is where this happened and, and there was a wall there and that was Nan's sewing room and this was this and this was that and she said it's just how it was virtually with a slightly updated bath because the bath had been one of those ones that you had to wind up what <laughs> what's wind you, up bath well you had to heat it there was a special kind of water heater for the bath oh um, it was different times and it was country town did we have those Wind up baths? Well, I don't know if you wound them up, but you did. There was some sort of... You only got a certain amount of hot water because right. it was, the hot water was just for the bath. And what was really magical about it was that she told me stories I'd never heard that she remembered because she was saying, I was standing here and then, you know, so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that. She's a very private person, so I won't tell you the details of it because she wouldn't want them on the internet, but... It was really beautiful stories about her childhood. And the other thing was, she told me stories as I was growing up. I always used to ask her, but I put the stories together. I could suddenly see it. It was a bit like, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but it was very similar to going to Israel <laughs> because <laughs> I was raised on the Bible. Atheist now, don't worry, don't panic. But uh, I was raised on the Bible. And when I went to Israel, when I went to Jerusalem, I could suddenly see how the Old Testament, the New Testament fit in. And I went, oh, this is where the temple was. That's the wall. And when Jesus came, that's where he went in. And okay, so that was Solomon's temple. And when I went to Nazareth, it was like a beach town. And I went, oh, he was this beach dude, this surfer dude coming down, <laughs> telling all the, you know, the city guys, like, who were the religious heads what to do. Of course they didn't listen to him. He was a surfer dude. He was like Keanu Reeves in... in um, point Break. Uh, yeah, Point Break, or even in Bill and Ted. And to them... <laughs> And it's true, like now, they, if anyone came from Nazareth, they'd just be like, yeah, no. And they're sitting there with scrolls being important. And I just sort of got it. I could put all the stories together. And that's exactly what happened when I was in my mother's house. That I suddenly went, I understand now exactly why you were sleeping there, where that was, what had happened after that. The story of the whole family became clear. And I understood her a lot more. And it was really an incredible time. Like, we just sat and talked. And that night, I went to bed... And really, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, I got my phone call. I was woken up. And the voice on the other end said, this is the BBC. Would you comment on the death of Victoria Wood? And I'd just been... Because they thought I was in London. And I went, what? Victoria Wood's not dead. And they said, yeah, no, she's died. And as a female comedian, would you be happy to come on and be interviewed and tell us how you felt about her? 
And I was so shocked because I'd just been woken up. Because Victoria was the first female stand-up comedian I'd ever seen on stage. And she was also very mumsy. You know, she was, her whole act is quite mumsy. And I was just so devastated by it. And I listened to this song that she sang. And it wasn't really a comedy song. It was called Andrea. And it started off like, I'm 17, I live around here, and think it's not so bad. But then she has this whole chorus about how I'm going to get away. And when my nan says, um, oh, I'm going to cry. My nan says, my ship will come in and it'll be a better day. And I could just imagine my mother as this sort of 17-year-old girl in this house, you know, like trapped there and not able to get away and wanting this better day. And I just understood everything about her. And I just suddenly realised that all of the opportunities she'd given me were the ones that she wanted for herself. And she worked so hard to give them to me. And I sort of, if I was holding anything, those irritations we hold with our parents, I just really let it go. And I just thought, thank you, you know, and... I just got it. So it was really a challenge worth doing because it really has changed my relationship with my mother and I'm so glad I got to do that because she's going to not be here one day and I'll always have that. Slightly better challenge than just sleeping in the same bed as your mum. <laughs> I really thought, ah, she's not going to be able to beat that. <laughs> no one can beat that. Hello, Guilty Feminist. It's Deborah Francis-White. I am just briefly popping in, in the middle of your podcast listening, to say that on the 6th of February, 2018, it will be 100 years Uh, since some women first were able to vote in the United Kingdom. That's right. Now, we are doing a show on this date to celebrate it. It's going to be all singing, all dancing, an incredible lineup. Uh, We're doing it along with Guardian Live at the Palladium in London's West End, no less. This is going to be a very exciting show. Please join us. If you would like to get tickets, london-palladium.co.uk. That's london-palladium.co.uk. If you would like to see me before the end of the year, all the Guilty Feminist shows are sold out, but you can see me at Standard Issue in conversation with Sarah Millican at Leicester Square Theatre on 14th of December. Please come along. There's other fabulous women on the bill. And if you would like to put something in our Christmas stocking, it's going to be two years since we started The Guilty Feminist in December this year. The podcast is free every week, but there is one episode that you can download for £5. It's called The Negotiation Special. And if you go to guiltyfeminist.com, you'll be able to download it. And with that £5, we'll be able to do more exciting shows and events and all sorts of things, fly more exciting guests in, that kind of thing. So if you'd like to help us out, we don't do Patreon or adverts. That's the only way you can support us so please go along and do that if you're possibly able to it's a fabulous episode too don't miss out on it now thank you very much and back to the podcast one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com studies you know they do studies in university and there were 104 they always do studies with really weird numbers like 97 percent of 104 people 104 university age women asked about their relationship with their mothers and of the women who were asked if they considered uh, their mothers and themselves to be feminists and said that they were and then said that they got on well with their mothers. Not one of those women said that feminism had anything to do with them getting on well. They said, yeah, we get on well with feminists, but feminism's got nothing to do with that. And then of the women who said they didn't get on well with their mothers, do you know what they blamed? Feminism. <laughs> because feminism almost always takes the blame and hardly ever gets any credit. That's how it works. I looked at one of those articles on Psychology Today that said the eight toxic signs, signs that your relationship with your mother is toxic, the eight signs your relationship with your mother is toxic, and they were things like the relationship is controlling, the relationship is self-centered, there are self-centered elements to the relationship, there's controlling, the relationship is enmeshed, the relationship is codependent. I thought, who the fuck has a relationship with their mother that is not enmeshed and controlling and self-centered? Who are these women having relationships with an uncontrolling mother who does not wish to enmesh herself, that is not in any way codependent or self-centered? Who the fuck are these bitches? Who the fuck? I don't know any of them. In what world is your mother not trying to control you after you leave her home? Of course she is. Of course she is. The reason she is is because the relationship that she had with you for your entire life until you left the house was entirely abusive. <laughs> living with a child is like living with a cocaine addict. That is clear. For the first 12 years of your relationship with your mother, you're just like a little coke addict. It's like living with somebody who consistently talks about themselves and tells you every single thing they're thinking. Just to on a fucking loop. Someone who never shuts the fuck up, never asks how you are, consistently tells you all of the mad thoughts that they're having, none of which make much sense, has terrible, horrific mood swings, blames you for goes wrong in your life and continually throws up on you. <laughs> that is like living with a cocaine addict. Then for the following six years, the that's the first 12 years, the following six years, they put themselves into some self-imposed rehab in their bedroom <laughs> and tell you nothing they are thinking. <laughs> nothing. So there's been 12 years of, I like Moana, mummy, do you like Moana? I think I am Moana. Are you Moana, mummy? I'm like Moana, aren't I, mummy? I think I am Moana. I'm not Moana. Shut up, I've never been Moana. You're Moana. <laughs> that's the first 
last 12 years and the next six is just total fucking silence. I said to my friend the other day, does your daughter believe in Santa Claus still? She said, my daughter doesn't believe in downstairs. <laughs> what are you fucking talking about? The next six years after this person has followed you round, throwing up on you and telling you things that you don't want to hear, they just shut themselves away in a cave and you have to knock on the door and go, all right, yes. How was school? Fine. Would you like shut up? That's six years. That's abusive. And there's no other way of looking at that. So, of course, if that person now says, I'm leaving, don't try to control me. Well, if that was anybody else, they would clearly be clinically insane in need of help. So you'd constantly checking, are you all right? Are you all right out there in the world on your own? Are you paying the rent? Because I saw no sign of any behaviour before you left the house that that would be possible. <laughs> of course they're controlling. Of course they're fucking controlling. Why wouldn't they be controlling? It's, it's very key to the relationship. I often feel now that I have to sort of uh, try and make things up to my mother because of this abusive relationship that was just childhood. I, mean, I, was, I wasn't a bad kid at all. I was a really good kid. But even the best possible child and adolescent is a horrible thing to have to live with for 18 years, isn't it? I mean, there's just no other way of looking at it. So I do try and make it up to my mother now sometimes. I sort of think... Well, she was Santa Claus for 18 years. Well, actually, in my case, a little less because we became Jehovah's Witnesses. Let's not dwell on that. I've just realised it. Let's not go into the pain of that. Let's not go into the pain of that and how I blame... No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. She was Santa Claus for me for about 14 years. 14 years. She waited up till two in the morning, crept into my room. Oh, oh, you're still awake. So just checking if you were still awake. 14 years. She had a sleepless night. The night before, she had to cook a roast for 12. Because she was pretending to be a mythical creature to deliver presents into my room without me ever realising that it was her so she would get no credit. Who the fuck else would you do that for? Are you ever going to deliver a present to anyone and then go, it was someone else? <laughs> Don't thank me. Don't thank me. Well, who was it? Who can I thank? No one you'll ever see. It's an abusive relationship. So I think she was Santa for 14 years. I took her to Downton Abbey. Boom, done. My debt is cleared. I think, you know, she did that school run every day, and she did. She kept collecting us right through to the end of school. So that was 12 years. Every single day she was there, every single day I got the car, she said, how was your day? Every single day. It's the relentless nature of parenting that I admire. I don't have children because I love myself. <laughs> but, but the relentless nature of that, every fucking day, there's no day off, there's no day where you get not to do that. And it just, I mean, especially in those days, I mean, now mothers do have days off, don't they? They just say, you do it all they go to a bar and ask another mother to do it and say I can't cope but in my mother's day there was none of that there was no socially acceptable way of going to the pub instead of collecting your child so she did it every single day day in day out day in day out day in day out I took her to Paris boom one week in Paris that was all I could do and that was the debt being cleared but she has this thing where she'll get to a door she'll go this door won't open and I'll go well you says there press there's a big sign that says press the button push the door and she'll go no, I'm, I, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and I, I'm looking and well, clearly you do. And what she's really saying to me is, I did that for 18 years. <laughs> I found the button, I pushed the door. You were lolling behind me going, you find the button, you push the door now. She gets into taxi cabs, genuinely, and she'll go, don't know how to work the seatbelt. <laughs> she does. I know 
what she's doing. I had three kids. I, she's added up the seatbelts she's checked and pushed in and then had to push in again because some stupid four-year-old's undone it in traffic while she's driving. She's added those up and she's going, I'm never going to do another seatbelt I don't have to do. <laughs> Clearly she does seatbelts when I'm not there. When I'm there, she's just like, I'm sure you can find a way. <laughs> you can do for your mother and this is what I've discovered mothers really want I've given this advice to some friends when they've been having tricky times with their mother sometimes we have a tricky time with our mother don't we we have a tricky time we have a tricky period with our mother don't we don't we I'll tell you and this never fails phone her up just be calm do your breathing <laughs> ask her advice <laughs> no I mean it <laughs> Tell her you don't know what to do and ask her advice. Tell her you are incapable of deciding without her. It's all she wants. It's all she wants. She wants to feel needed. She wants to know that you need her. So you ring her up and say, I don't know what to do, mother. Should I go out with him on another date or should I tell him I don't want to see him again? This is the situation. And then, if you really love her, follow her advice. <laughs> Give her two options, two options, both of which you'd be happy to follow. <laughs> and when she chooses one, don't go, I knew you'd say that one! <laughs> follow her advice. Okay. So I'm going to go just around the room. What do you need help with at the moment? <laughs> Do you need help with something at the moment? I'm okay. You're okay. <laughs> Do you have curtains that you need choosing? That would be good. That would be good. My mother loves choosing a curtain. Okay, who needs curtains? Anyone here need curtains? Anyone here need help with curtains? You do. You need help with curtains. Okay, you need help with curtains. Do you know what you're going to do? Do you trust your mother's judgment with curtains? Yes. Do you? Ish. Ish. So, no. You're going to invite her over. Is she near enough to do that? Yes. And you are going to have some fabric samples. You are going to ask her advice, say that you don't know. And then you are going to follow her advice, okay? okay. Does anyone need help with anything that isn't soft furnishings? <laughs> life advice, life advice. Does anyone need any, any life advice? Dating advice. Yes, over there, what do you need? Sorry? It's not dating. What is it? wedding reception no even 28 miles away don't see them don't really want to go I'll tell you what we'll leave this bit in the podcast send her a link you'll be uninvited and then ask your mum thanks very much play called My Mother Said I Never Should. It's the play written by a woman that has been most performed in the history of the world. It has incredible themes about motherhood and relationship with children and relationship with mothers. It was chosen in the National Theatre's Top 100 Plays of the 20th Century. Please welcome Charlotte Keatley! <laughs> Thank you. 
devastating for the listeners at home. Charlotte is in a gold sequin dress. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. Do you have an I'm a feminist but, Charlotte? Sort of. I'm a feminist, but for the last four years I've had a dog called Alfie, and he turns out to be a really unreconstructed fellow. He thinks that women should stay at home and just look after him. <laughs> Is he, would you say sexist or misogynistic? Both. <laughs> Does he speak? He speaks a lot, yes, mainly to me and my daughter and to a few other people. Most days he says he doesn't think women should write at all. <laughs> Does he say? Says that out of my yes. cats talk as well. Yes. I mean, obviously, my husband and I voice them. Right. Um, no, but... he, he actually talks. Was... Oh, okay. Oh, sorry, I thought I imagined you and. No, your no, he does talk. Things. I mean, sometimes when I'm talking to him in the park, he talks back. Sometimes other people notice, and sometimes they don't. <laughs> Charlotte, if that was anyone else, I'd think, but with you, I actually don't know. Um, I've known Charlotte a long time, and she's quite magical. And you did write this very seminal play about women, and it's about the nature of motherhood, isn't it, as well? Because I don't want to give any spoilers away, well. but there's a woman who gives her baby. Is this a spoiler? It's a spoiler. Should we spoil it? Should yeah. Spoil it? Yeah. Well, if they haven't seen it by now, come on. <laughs> You've been slack. You, you sort of get it. Go and see it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, I just thought I wanted to write about mothers and daughters because I was about 24, and I thought when my grand was my age, who grew up in this city as well, and I thought how little choice she had. I was wondering what I was going to do with my life, and I suddenly hit me how different it was from my grand's life. What I could do, which mm. is sort of anything, and that was the germ of thinking I'm going to write a play about. Mothers and daughters, because across the last hundred years or so, there's so much more change per generation of women than men. It's just incomparable. My brother's life isn't very different from his grandfather. My life is so different from my grandmother. And I'll use four generations of mothers and daughters to look at the last hundred years. So it's actually it's about civilization, it's about society. But, because it's by a woman, and the four characters are women... It's seen as a play about women in that interesting way that we're a sort of little subsection of, mm. you know, culture. <laughs> There's sort of two questions I get asked most. This play, it was turned down for the first three or four years by lots of theatres, and the biggest reason, I kid you not, wait for it, was it wasn't about anything because it was only about women. This is 28 years ago. And um, the question I most get asked, even now, is, what's it like to be a woman playwright? That question is packed with so much, you know, the implication that a woman playwright isn't a proper playwright, and also that I was a man previously, but changed. <laughs> but you have experience to compare it Obviously, with. yes, and I know what it's like to be a man playwright and, and all those other things. And the other question is, and I was asked it only less than a year ago when there's a production just West End, the publicity guy said, and so what's of interest in this play to men? My daughter, who was beside me at the time, sort of made squirming noises and agonised, and she said afterwards, you're much too nice. You're much too nice to him. But it is extraordinary. I mean, but no one asks... ever asks a woman, what did you get out of Hamlet? That's right. <laughs> nobody, says, nobody says, what about Pinter, Mamet? Did you, is there anything for you there? Can you enjoy yeah, it? Okay, it's just enjoy. because the... Yeah, it's, because... Just un... it's just accepted that, of course, we want to hear those stories, and those are the stories that should be told. And also there's this idea that people go... <laughs> I was telling somebody what my job is as a stand-up comedian, and they went, ah, oh, well, it's a lot easier for you minorities, isn't it? And I went, you think a woman is a minority? <laughs> I think you'll find that there's more of us than you. You're outnumbered, mate, so watch your back. <laughs> it's true, though. I often think that white, straight men are a minority because... 
because they are. First of 51% of the population is female, but then you have gay men and transgender men and men of colour, and white men are not that much of the population, given the airtime that they get. And I sometimes look at the television and think, well, it's great that that minority is getting so much representation. <laughs> Strong work, they've got a strong lobby. That's clearly all it is. They've got a fucking great lobby. That's what they're great self-advertisers. And but you're right, that play is seen as a women's play, and actually it's a play about human beings. Yeah, well there's a play called Jerusalem that was on a few years ago by Jez Butterworth in London. It's a really good play. And everyone said it's a really good play. And I said it's a play with 21 characters, three of them are women. One of those women only sings a song in the interval. So <laughs> And it's seen as a state-of-the-nation play, which is something that apparently just men write. So if I wrote a play about, with 21 characters, three were men, one only sang a song, <laughs> probably wouldn't be put on, I'm not joking. If it was put on, it would be put on as part of a women's festival. It wouldn't be seen as speaking about humanity. And that's what's interesting. Yeah, definitely. But the- Jerusalem, I went to see Jerusalem, and I mean, it was years ago, so I didn't even think about it. I just thought, here's a play about society. I expect my representation to be low. I mean, I'm much more aware of it now, but I think then I just was like, I'm lucky I've got any representation of me on the stage. Look, there's one singing a song, and that's <laughs> well done, well done us. You all um, have to write plays. But even more interesting to me is that Shakespeare, and we're, you know, if you're taught anything at school about Shakespeare, he covers all human experience. Mm. There are no mother-daughter relationships in Shakespeare at all, except Romeo and Juliet, and there's a nanny, <laughs> So you hardly oh, ever yeah, see she, she has brought got, up by a nanny. She does talk to her mother twice, doesn't she? And a winter's tale, and one of them's frozen for 21 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually true, isn't so it? So I thought, maybe there's a little gap here yeah. I could fill. Yeah. You've got a grown-up daughter now. It's amazing to think, because you yourself... When are you grown up? She's 20. She well, would dispute whether I'm a grown-up mother. <laughs> yeah, she's got a point there, Charlotte. Yeah. Um, how is it now having a grown-up daughter and having a relationship? Because I think now the generation gap has just disappeared. My friends who've got grown-up children, I mean, they're never leaving that house. And they're going, well, why would we go? Because it's actually just a very glamorous flat share. Like, when, when I, I, mean, I couldn't listen to the I same music. I couldn't wait to leave. 18, yeah. I was out of there. See but we later. couldn't listen to the same music as our parents. We couldn't swear in front of our parents. We couldn't have sex in front of our parents. Not in front of our parents. But... I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I still can't do that. No. But, you know, like, bring someone back and have sex and that would be fine. Roll everyone... over. Mama brought a friend. Come on. <laughs> Flipping it. You're taking up a lot of this blooming bed. Listen, it's the other way with us, okay? My daughter is at university and she's got a flat, shares it with three other women, and I go there to stay to get proper hot meals, clean sheets. (laughs) She has clean sheets and a dressing gown ready and she says the bathroom's there, you can use my shampoo. I'm not joking, this is serious. Yeah, inverse parenting, I think, is a great thing. So my mum, for example, she wore clothes that sort of matched in the right way. She went to the hairdresser and had a proper cut. She prayed to somebody called Father, um, and she nodded and smiled when she talked to men. The house was always clean. We had regular meals at the right time. By my age, she was a neurotic, very depressed, unhappy mess. So I looked at all that and thought, okay, let's do it differently, and I did it differently. And it's great. So by the inverse parenting law, we were talking about this today. I was asking George about favourite moments. There was when we used to go to John Lewis to look at the Christmas decorations, but not buy any, because they're really expensive. And then 
and then go to Sainsbury's next door and buy a big jar of gherkins, usually chocolate and wafer-thin turkey ham, and then we get in the car and eat them all, eat all the gherkins and drink the juice and everything. And that was a balanced meal because we liked doing that. And my mum would never do things like that. We did have sensible meals too, and I could cook reasonable things. But my daughter is a brilliant, brilliant cook, and it's inverse parenting, do you see? Because I didn't really cook proper meals, mm. but she was reading recipe books by the time she was 12. So you've saffied her, basically. <laughs> yes, there her. is a worrying tendency like that. It's true, though, I think, because children will always rebel. So if you want them to be on time, you just have to be a really late parent. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, Mum, get in the car! <laughs> I'm going to be late for school and it's all fault again! <laughs> and if you want them to do their homework, then don't do yours, basically. Be all like, oh, I'm a bit scatty. No, do what you want. And you're like, no, you've got to care about this. So it's probably a great way to motivate them, really. I'm picking up tips. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, it's all getting in there. Lots of rows. We've been rowing ever since she could talk. I do like that. Seriously, I like that. Because that was another thing my mum didn't do, is express anger. So, and I was never very good at it. So I can with my daughter. We have great rows. And then at the end, you know how you make up and stuff. So... My daughter will come to me in the evening and say, Mum, I'm so sorry that you were wrong. <laughs> and it works every time. Do you, I Jen... could never say that to my mum. She... That wouldn't work. No, oh, no, that no. would be a terrible oh, period. God. It would no. be like a sort of Paleolithic era of standoffish oh. passive aggression with oh. my mother if I said, I'm sorry, you were wrong. It would last some months, I think. I don't know. I'm guessing. Yeah, I think the same. She'd be like, don't be silly, get out. <laughs> there would be no way I could... I, I always like... You know when people used to say, oh, my mum's my best friend? Uh, she's my best friend, my mum. <laughs> I think, you mentally ill. What the hell's wrong? <laughs> Go and get some friends. <laughs> Just leave the house and meet some people. As I got older and I've matured, I've thought that might be nice if I had a slightly... Our relationship is definitely a lot better, but I do think there was a certain amount of kind of... Because we're both very dogmatic, very aggressive women that neither of us would ever back down from an argument. Somebody has to go, do you know what, let's leave this and let's talk about it when we're not so cross, but we wouldn't. We would just... And then it would never sort of end well. Why do you think it is that we can't find that good place with our mothers sometimes. What is it that stops us? Because as feminists, we're so good at the sisterhood often, and we'll be there for our friends, we'll be understanding. Like, our friend can ring us up and go, I don't know why I did it, but I went back to Jeffrey's house last night, but, oh, God, not Jeffrey. Yes, Jeffrey, and I don't know why I did it, because he's always the same, but he texted me, and I thought, I'll just go over, he might have changed this time. <laughs> and I went over, and he had a bottle of Kahlua, and I, you know, and I... <laughs> months, but I just thought I'd have one little clue because what can that hurt? But of course, then I drank the whole bottle, and then I've now been, I was at Jeffrey's, I don't know, 72 hours, and then, and then his wife came home, it turns out he's married, and I couldn't, I mean, who could see that coming? It's only, it's Everyone. only, it's only Everyone. happened four times before. And, and then you'll go, oh, darling, don't worry about it. No, no, these things happen to everyone, they don't, but it's, it's, and then you sort of go over and you run to that person's rescue. But your mother will say, oh, darling, I forgot to pick up the buttons. You go, oh, what God. the fuck? <laughs> I texted you and reminded you about the buttons. <laughs> and you, again, do not put me first. <laughs> Why is it that we're so harsh to our mothers and we can be such great sisters to other women? Why? 
Jen. Do you know what? I, that is, no, 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 I think that's a really, really good question. And I, 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 if I could only figure that out, I think that there is a part of me that remains in stasis, like, probably because my mum is the kind of mum that was very, I am your mum, and so you listen to me, and I am the boss. And there was a little bit of her that was always mothering me. So I think, like, really, if she could have breastfed me at 30, she would have. She was that kind of mum. <laughs> so there's a little bit of arrested development that I have with my mum. So I can be like this, you know, quite grown-up, reasonably grown up, not very, person, adult in life. And then I go back to my mum's and there's a little bit of me that goes, oh, God, there's nothing in the fridge, you know. Yeah, Which is a lie, because there's always something in the fridge. It's packed. I don't know why I said that. That's a bad example. We trigger that infant part of us, maybe. That's in your play, isn't it? Suddenly they'll all be children again in the play and we'll see them as childlike figures, even though they're grown-up women playing the parts. Yes. The idea of that is, what if we could meet our mum and we didn't know it was our mum? It sort of magically, because you know how your mum has a sort of invisible label on her mum? So when you talk to her, your voice goes different, and so does hers and everything. So I thought, well, you can do anything in theatre. So out of time, you see all four of these women meeting as children and playing kids' games together and stuff. And they don't know that one day in another world, they'll be grandmother and all that. So they talk to each other more equally, mm. which is sort of an ideal to me, I suppose. It's different from being best friend. And, I mean, it's the, I wrote this years before I had my daughter. But the lovely thing is, actually, I do have that with my daughter. And when, I think it's... When I went to see that play in Watford, because that play, uh, my mother said, it was originally in Manchester, wasn't it? That's that right. First, started it started here at Contact here. Theatre. Um, home team, home team. But I saw it in Watford, and one of the characters looked exactly like your daughter, even though you didn't have a... Uh, saying that casting or something, I remember some spooky story where the character was exactly like Georgia, and it was freaking me out. Oh. <laughs> but it was like you, we talked about it at the time and right. you said yeah it's weird it's weird isn't it um, no you don't no, remember that don't okay remember. we'll edit that no. out anyone got a question hi um, no. I saw a twitter thread fairly recently and it was hilarious it was about sort of the most embarrassing and offensive thing mothers have said to their daughters about their body I was stood in a very busy shop once and my mum patted me on the stomach and said, suck in. Uh, so I was just wondering if anybody wants to get it off their chest. <laughs> oh, I love Manchester. <laughs> She's just gone. Anyone else got anything? Any, that's a great question. Anyone got anything that their mother said about them physically they'd like to get off their chest? I've, I've got one. Oh, Charlotte's got one? No, great. it's just because I've got this tattoo here. It's my heart on my sleeve, carried by a little bird. And I got it done when I was about 21. And I was home visiting, and my mum said, when she saw it, no one will ever marry you now. <laughs> Brilliant. 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 You're a scarred woman. So, um, yes? So, yeah, sort of carrying on from what you said, with, like, mothers and influencing you and stuff, it's the way your mother's impact daughters I always think is really interesting so like my mum's been like dieting constantly worried about her weight I was wondering how you can sort of like have that and not pass it on to your daughters or how you deal with your own insecurities without mm. passing them on to your children good question. good question I have a friend she's kind of an American Jewish you know sort of fabulous she says my mission as a parent is to give my children as little baggage as possible. 
And that's a really good goal, I think, because you are going to give them baggage, and you should give them baggage, because otherwise they'd be the only ones at the carousel <laughs> without anything coming around. Like, baggage-free people are frankly dull, <laughs> unempathetic, I can't relate. I think, do you know, I think a lot of Donald Trump's problems, not enough baggage. <laughs> I can't relate to anyone, it's just like, born with a silver spoon, everything's gone my way, everything's coming up roses, who can I blow up? That is basically him, isn't it? You know, I think a certain amount of healthy baggage. What do you think, Charlotte? I think you have to make yourself as happy as you can. And after writing this play about mothers and daughters, there's so much expectation and so much frustration of things you didn't do, and we pass that on to daughters much more than sons. So why, if you why? Can... why do women get all the shit? Because we judge, we judge women so much harder. We all get judged much harder on stage, off stage, as mothers. Mothers get judged so much harder than fathers. Yeah, I, I don't think they? that's true. Like, as we a mother, judge, you get judged. I was thinking about yeah. this today. I judged my mother harder than my dad. I think that's really interesting. As a guilty feminist, that's my guilty feminist thing. I realise mm. I expected more of my mum. So you can say to your daughter, mm, I'm worried about these wodgy bits, and you say it in a way that she just says, "Oh, don't be stupid, mum," you know, or just, you know, look, these chocolate eclairs are nicer than that. So you can share your worries, but in a way that isn't about being perfect. I think that's the thing. Mm. I had a bit in my set once where I used to say, who gets annoyed? You know that bit where I did before, where who gets annoyed by their mother in minutes? And then I'd be like, um, who gets annoyed by their dad? And hardly anyone was. And there was a young woman there with her father. And I said, what are your memories of your dad? And she went, oh, he taught me how to ride a bicycle and blow bubbles. Of course he's not annoying. Because this person that took you off on a magical bicycle ride, as opposed to the one that said every single day, can you please put your shoes on? Can you please put your shoes on? Can you please put your shoes on? Would you, darling, would you put your shoes on? Could you pop your shoes on, lovely? Come on, darling, pop your shoes on now. Pop your shoes Put your shoes on! And that's the only bit we remember, is put your shoes on. And some mothers just edit out all the crap before that now. They just, I see it, they just go, put your shoes on! Well, they've said anything else, you think, I, why can't you, you know? Yeah, after about five years, I imagine you get there a bit quicker. No, my dad's really annoying, so I don't, can't relate to him. I think, also, you, it's really important to admit or show that you get it wrong as a mother just as much as any other kind of human being does. I mean, one time when my daughter was about 12 and I went to get her from school because she had a lot of bags that day, and on the way in the post office, I saw this green curly acrylic wig. So, obviously, when I turned up to collect her from school, <laughs> I was wearing the green curly acrylic wig. And she just looked at me and ran in tears out of the school, waited further down the street. So, you know, I admitted I made a mistake as a mother at that point. <laughs> Anything you'd like us to watch, listen to? Well, you can look out for my next play. It's going to be on at Watford Palace Theatre first, and then I hope it will be here in Manchester. This is a tricky one, because I'm not quite sure about the title yet. So watch out for an untitled it's, um, it's about. So watch out for a play. It's about an amazing woman who is an 18th century mathematician and genius called Emily du Chatelet, but she was also a mother and had kids and was married to one man and sleeping with another one and had lots of guests and the roof was always leaking and things like that that we all deal with, but she was a genius too. I love the sound. That's right up my street. What? That's <laughs> round my cul-de-sac, down my alley. Um, <laughs> That's very I'm, thorough. Yeah, I really... I'm going to that five times. And also... So we can buy the copy of My Mother Said. If you've never read My Mother Said, I Never Should, you should buy it and read it. And you could even put it on. 
I mean, you could just put it on your front room, that probably won't cost you anything. Or you could put it on at your Amtram site or your school, if anyone's a teacher at a school. The next production will be next year, actually, Black Eyed Theatre, touring it around. Oh, perfect. Well, we'll all go or on a group Or you can go outing. to Spain or Israel. It's on soon. Great. <laughs> Spain, you could take your mother. That I'll could be bonding. Mum, yes. Spain. All the way to her homeland. Would you like to plug anything, Jen Brister? I'm sure I should have something to plug. <laughs> I, uh, no. What's your Twitter? Oh, oh, you can follow me on Twitter, which is my name, Jen Brister. And, uh, yes, uh, that's it, really. Jen's uh, on the circuit the whole time, so you can catch her in your local comedy club. I feel like I should have something like a, a range of cosmetics I'm about to launch. I know, I feel like I should... To plug? No. Yeah, drop an album. <laughs> um, make one up. And you must, of course, sign up for Nikki Kelly's mailing list and then you will get a free copy of her song, her kick-ass feminist song. Follow The Guilty Feminist on Twitter at guiltfempod. Check out our Instagram, instagram.com forward slash theguiltyfeminist. Like our Facebook page. Sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. And please, please, please go to iTunes and rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find the podcast. Give it five stars. You can give every episode five stars. Just because you've reviewed it once doesn't stop you reviewing it every week. <laughs> While Nikki's getting set up, can we have a really, really big round of applause for our fantastic co-host, Jen Brister? And I really do mean this. It's a big honour to be able to talk to Charlotte Keatley tonight because she is a bit of a living legend. Friends of mine are always so impressed that I know Charlotte, so I tell them all the time. Uh, big round of applause for Charlotte Keatley! to get to meet no I've only got to know Nikki very recently but she's included herself so beautifully and brilliantly and I'm so thrilled that she slept all the way from Birmingham tonight and was able to join us on stage not like by the way the woman that sang the song in the interval of Jez Butterworth's play but the woman who is opening and closing this episode give it up for Nikki Kelly <laughs> i 
You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest host, Jen Brister, and our very special guest, Charlotte Keatley. The producer was Tom Zelinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Music was by Mark Hodge and Nikki Kelly. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. Thanks to Tony and Hannah and PBJ Live and everyone at the Dance House Theatre as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. So you know when you're listening at home or on the tube or on the what what the tram? I forgot where I was. <laughs> on the tram, on the tram. Uh, when you're on, you get on the tram, you pop on the old Manchester tram. And you you want to be able to look out the window and not worry about where you're going. And you, oh hello Manchester, that kind of thing. You're going from Manchester Street to the Manchester Royal Exchange. <laughs> you, have you on. ever been to Manchester? Yep, loads. <laughs> That's why I know both those places. Um, Ship comes in, we'll have a better day. Well, I'm 17 and I live round here and it's not so bad. And my sister's left, so I'm just at home with my mum and dad. And oh, something set me thinking this thing that she would say. We'll win, it'll all begin when our ship comes in. We'll have a better day, a better day, a better day. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com